0: Hey everybody! Welcome to the Human Side of Dev. I am your host Lindsay Wardell. With me today is my special guest Luis Oliveira.
1: Welcome, Luis. Hello, 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 hello. How's it going? It's
0: going all right. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing fine. Um, just trying to not lose my mind, as everyone else, I suppose.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's it's a good thing not to do. Uh, I I like having a mind.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's surprisingly useful,
0: especially in our
1: industry. <laughs> like the mind is all you have in our industry (laughs) That's true
0: luis would you mind briefly introducing yourself
1: yeah um so i am based in brazil center west of brazil and i'm a developer Uh, at first i actually started college on a energy engineering course but then i changed to computer engineering which was a good idea because i was failing a lot of classes i had like 11 field classes. Um, So actually, this says a lot about me. I start stuff. I usually don't finish them. (laughs) Except for computer science related stuff. That's
0: sticking still. What got you interested in uh, switching to computer science
1: and and software engineering? Yeah. So it was a specific class because in any engineering, you're going to have like algorithms one. And I took that class and the, the teacher, she was like, oh, you're actually kind of have kind of good at, at this. Don't you want to try, like, uh, be in other classes in computer engineering? And I ended up, like, changing courses. Yeah. Uh, but I always had some interested interest, interest in, in computer science. Like, when I was a kid, I started making games with Multimedia Fusion. Love it. Too. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing surprisingly taught me a lot about programming, like events and stuff. And all that knowledge kind of helped me later. Um, yeah, so I, I kind of always had an interest in computers. Nice. I, I share a
0: similar background where uh, I remember like middle school and high school playing around with Multimedia Fusion in the Games Factory.
1: Uh, yeah, pri- exactly. I, I was
0: primarily making Sonic the Hedgehog fan games at the time.
1: I was trying to make Mega Man X um, nice. <laughs> fan games, and we had this uh, cool Brazilian website. I didn't know English back then. Um, Brazilian website with, through um, tutorials. After some time, I, I don't even re- remember the name because the site, the site went went down, and I just don't remember anything, like the names. But it helped me a lot, and that's one of the reasons why I try to make a lot of Portuguese content online. I have a YouTube channel. I taught game development for a while there. And I'm involved in a project called Code for the Wing, uh, which is for developers trying to learn web development. So I'm almost always trying to make Portuguese content because of this.
0: Yeah, it's something that we don't think about the people who grew up just speaking English. Like the content is yeah. readily available for everybody, and all the programming languages are written with English
1: in mind exactly yeah and that's a struggle for <laughs> for brazilians like talking about brazilians um some people will, like some people will go as far as to say that the best programming language is english <laughs> actually because by knowing english you open so many doors so many tutorials so many content so much content and and that's just super valuable but it's not that easy to learn a second language so uh, we should try to bring content to Portuguese when we can
0: so i'm I'm curious as again as somebody who grew up speaking English from your perspective as you're as you're trying to learn programming especially at the beginning what was it like having to to deal with for loops and built-in function calls you know the standard library for various languages all being in English
1: yeah uh, when I started to actually write, Proper code and not just like events, spreadsheets on multimedia fusion. Uh, I already knew uh, the basics of English and I could understand most of the words. And I I, I have always been curious. So when I didn't know a word, I would like to look it up. <laughs> but it helps because the words are usually self-descriptive and helpful in that way. And I can see how many of my Brazilian people, let's put it that way, uh, would struggle with that. But yeah, I didn't have that problem too much because I've I've been learning English slowly over time. Like even nowadays, I try to practice my pronunciation and stuff. Uh, but since I was a kid, I was interested in looking up phrases and words and whatnot. So I, that doesn't answer your question because I actually didn't have that problem.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, it does. It, it answers the question in that you didn't have that problem because you were you were coming at it and you already knew some English.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I just think that's. One of the, the hangups that programming as an industry has in general, that in order to teach it to somebody, they need to understand at least basic, these, these basic words. Like, yeah.
1: There are a few programming languages that uses Portuguese words, but they only use it like to teach. Uh, there's one called Portugal, um, but they use it like the first classes in an algorithm one course, and mm. that's it. That's too bad. Yeah. But... It's, just, it's the state of things. I wonder like how it's like for people with vastly different languages, like Mandarin, Japanese or something. Yeah, that's gotta be, that's that's gotta be a challenge. Gotta, that's gotta be a challenge,
0: yeah. I, I remember, I don't remember how long ago this was, but I saw a plugin for Babel where you could replace a keyword with a, key, a different, like you could, you could transpile keywords and so you could create uh-huh. a translation layer where you're writing the word function in whatever language. They use Spanish and uh, Mandarin as their examples. And then in, oh, that's in the compiled output, it would just switch that back to the word function. I cannot find that plugin, and I know Babel is kind of not as popular as it used to be. But I think something like that would be really cool.
1: Yeah, and it would be useful to like uh, for teaching purposes. In the end, you're going to have to learn to code in English, like... It's a lot of trouble to translate (laughs) forever, I think, (laughs) but uh, for learning purposes is really useful, I think, because you're going to like learn the structure of an actual language that you can use later. I I have a a similar problem.
0: The other direction where I spent a couple of years in Brazil, I learned Portuguese, but I was working in an office. I I can tell you all about rents and financial bank accounts and all of that. But trying to talk about programming, I'm I'm always unsure what words get translated, what words don't, what words are just spoken oh. with an accent. There there was a podcast I can't name it at this point, but I was listening to a, a Brazilian podcast on programming, and I I heard them using like front and stuff like
1: that. Yeah, front Yeah, uh, I was I I wanted to ask you like how much Portuguese content you you consume like on a daily basis? Do you follow any specific YouTube channels or Twitter accounts or anything at this. It's not as much as I would like at this point,
0: um, primarily I'm following people on Twitter and Mastodon and Uh and reading, uh, and then talking with coworkers. And I have a roommate who's from Brazil. She's from Sao Paulo. I, I, I get some practice that way, but I don't, I don't consume nearly as much Portuguese content as I would like the, uh, one of the big problems I have is the podcasts that I, I typically listen to. It's, I, I can listen at a normal speed and, you know, people are just having a conversation. So it has a normal flow. The couple Brazilian podcasts that I listened to, it felt like all of the gaps between sentences were cut off and there was background yeah. music. And it, it made the whole thing a lot harder to like parse and understand as I was doing something else as,
1: as, as, as a non native speaker. Okay, okay, okay. So yeah, that's probably more to do with uh, the how used you are to listen to the language, I, I think. like I would imagine. To the subject, maybe. Yeah, because I felt the same way when I was learning English and trying to listen, listen to English stuff. And I feel the same way trying to learn French right now. <laughs> like, it seems like they speak so fast, but it's probably just because I'm not used to it, I think. That makes sense. So interesting, all
0: the different content that's out there that it's just in all these different languages. Coming back to what you were saying, you were creating this Portuguese content because there isn't as yeah,
1: much. I think that's the main advantage of moving in another language. Just sheer amount of content you get in culture and culture and entertainment and whatnot. That's why I'm trying to learn French as well. Uh, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't stop there, but who has the time? <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling. Who has the
0: time? I know that feeling. Um, so I'm curious more about the the game dev stuff that you've done. Like you said, you have a YouTube channel where you were talking about that. Um, yeah. If I remember right from our previous conversations, you, you used the Godot engine.
1: That's correct. For some reason, I always like to try and make games. I still do it as a hobby. Uh, and actually worked as a game developer for a year and a half, about that time. And I used mainly the Godot engine, but I also used the Love Framework which is in Lua. Lua, which is a great programming language developed in Brazil, which makes it the best programming language. Absolutely. (laughs) The the best one, at least from my perspective, take it with a grain of salt. (laughs) But yeah, so I have both a professional and a hobbyist um, experience as a game developer. The Godot engine is an open source game engine. It's very lightweight and simple to use. So I recommend anyone interested in taking a look. It's actually kind of big right now and growing fast. In, in usage, the digital engine. But I, I was there before it was cool. <laughs> Always
0: a good time when you can be like, I remember when it was new and... Yeah.
1: I actually got a couple of pull requests merged, nice. uh, fixing a couple of stuff, like real small stuff, you know, just enough for me to get the uh, GitHub co-pilot for free. <laughs> I guess that's why I got it
0: for free, but I have it for free. It's really cool. I I've. I mean, like I said, I started with Multimedia Fusion as well. Um, yeah, I have always considered jumping into Godot or something like it. I, my, my big draw was I wanted to make a very simple mobile game, like not, not mm-hmm. to make money, not to do anything like that. Just for fun. Yeah. Like, making games is one of the ways I, I learn different programming paradigms and programming languages.
1: Yeah. That's what I was, I was about to say. Like if, if there's anything you want to do. Um, speaking to like beginners, you should try and do it. Even if you can't, like, you're going to learn so much and it like to harness your motivation to do what you want to do. And you're going to learn a lot that like programming games taught me a lot of design patterns and uh, how computers work and how, like what a game loop is.
0: Yeah. I I completely agree when I was getting into the JavaScript ecosystem, I, I realized pretty quickly, oh, there's a lot of react jobs. I should probably learn react. Yeah, And so I decided what I should do is make a game. But what kind of game am I going to make? And I I got to this point doing the dishes. I was just like, oh, I'll make a turn-based strategy game. There'll be two players. They'll start on opposite sides of the board, Expand their territory, kind of in like a civilization style. And whoever defeats the opponent wins. And just started from there. And so I had to get into doing maps to generate the JSX tree for the DOM and random generation. Like I knew some JavaScript at that point, but it was was really interesting as a project. And then I used that same project and that same template so that I could learn more about Node and making a CLI application, or more about Svelte. Or eventually, the, the current version of that game is in Elm. So doing it in Elm was exciting because I had to learn how to do random numbers in Elm. I had to do lists of lists in Elm and then map those out to HTML and eventually write an ai again everything is an elm and just all of the the difficulties and challenges that came along with that it was a really fun challenge that helped me learn more as i was going
1: that's interesting uh i think most people will start by making games for some reason like i remember when i was trying to learn c because that's what i thought i should learn back then i didn't know about the huge ecosystem we have, like so many programming languages and programming paradigms that exist. I just didn't know about them. And I was learning CA, started making a tic-tac-toe game. Nice. (laughs) And it was as far as to use end curses and try to make it like a GUI and stuff uh, and use mouse events. It's a nice project for a beginner.
0: (laughs) Games are just so much more interesting than like a sign-up form or user preferences yeah. page or something like that yeah
1: indeed yeah harness your motivation once you have the tools you can do even more stuff um
0: <laughs> easier you were you were mentioning using c to make that tic-tac-toe game and i had flashbacks to my c plus plus course in college uh <laughs> ah <laughs> <laughs> i feel you
1: <laughs> yeah i'm not um except for rust right now I kind of find it interesting because Rust has such a nice image, you know? The 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 public relations, <laughs> it's just so good. They do
0: so well, yeah.
1: And that's, that's as far as, as I would go to, like, systems development. Maybe Rock, maybe Haskell. No, I would go far into systems development. <laughs> <laughs> I would go far there just realizing it right now. Uh, yeah, but not C. Certainly not C and not C. Nope. C no. And no. no.
0: The the first time I was writing C++, I enjoyed it. Like it was like, ooh, this is cool. I'm actually programming now. Not like when I was writing all that PHP a few yeah. months ago. I, I just could not get my ha- head around it for whatever reason. It just did not click properly and I could not I, I felt like I couldn't be a programmer because I started with C. And it wasn't until years later that I was like, oh, PHP is programming. I
1: actually can program. Yeah. Yeah, programming. So uh, this remember me a take I, I have recently, which is programming is easy. Like some people will say it's hard, but it's actually very easy. But it's kind of easy for everyone. So if you spend a lot of time doing it, you you get real good at it. And that's when it becomes hard. So it's easy to do, but it's hard to do professionally because it's easy for everyone. So it's kind of competing with other people doing an easy thing. But in one afternoon, you're going to have, you know, a program and executable. It's going to execute. It's going to like instruct your machine to do stuff and you can make games. But what this means is it's kind of easier to teach a non-programmer Enough coding skills for them to like make a simple project, like an artist make a game or a musician make a small music app. Then uh, teaching a programmer anything else because these other things are harder. Like you can't just start doing art or music. I think it's, it takes more time to do it at, at a reasonable level. I feel like. I don't know if you agree.
0: I can see that. I can see that because to get started with javascript for example you just need to do a console log hello world and build up from there it it's something that i don't know if it's the the difference between logic versus creativity but i feel like Mm. the skills build up in a way that's a little easier at least for my my brain to understand i i'm also very into music Uh, i enjoy singing i'm learning guitar but art and painting and drawing is something that's always been interesting and i can never i don't feel like i can progress in my skills i i I reached a roadblock years ago and i haven't found the right way around it yet
1: yeah it's like a plateau right i'm at a plateau in my guitar skills for 10 years (laughs) yeah i I feel yeah
0: so i am also curious you you made a comment before we recorded about having some views and takes on uh, social networks and i'm assuming social media and how that can impact mental health I'm just, I'm just curious it's, in your experience with that. Um, I obviously have my own opinions, and I just, I just want to hear yours as well.
1: Yeah, cool. Uh, it's, it's been a theme in my life right now because I just spent so much time in, on, on TikTok. And before, the reason why I started TikTok was because it's a silly social network, and I wanted to make fun, to, to just have a lot of fun with it in it. Because there's no family in there, no one who knows me. But then I got hooked. <laughs> Not only TikTok of course, uh, Twitter and Reddit as well. I would scroll forever, scroll forever and ever. I just, just kind of uh, worsened my attention span. But that's not the only thing. I felt like I was losing too much time to these things. Like I would open these social networks for 15 minutes, and I wouldn't end up losing like three hours. I installed like this app on my phone that will tell me how much time I'm spending on which things. And I got (laughs) revolted. I was like, I can't, I can't be spending like three, four hours a day on these things. So I started trying to like drop everything for, for for some time. I uninstalled everything. I actually installed a blocker on my browser. And the reason I wanted to, to talk about this is like, I ended up figuring out that I have ADHD and apparently social networks are even worse for ADHD people. And I have a project called Lemeno, which is I'm using right now, and we're trying to make it into a product that actually helps you with that a bit. Where you like your timeline ends. You have the new content, you go through it, it's over, and you don't have infinite scrolling, which is helping me a lot. And I feel like this is a modern and important <laughs> subject to talk about. I don't know if younger people will grow up used to it and not have the same problem. I don't know.
0: I, I will share my personal opinion of I appreciate it, especially during the pandemic, but also I just want it to go away.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's exactly it's such a time saving.
0: It is. And I know exactly what you're talking about with the, the scrolling. Um I I do my best to like in the morning I, I have I try to have a routine and get out of bed. Yeah, you know, my I, I wake up, I do wordle to like kickstart my brain then my goal is to get up, do breakfast and and start moving for the day. I when if I'm really tired, I'll just be like, I don't want to get up yet, but I don't want to go to sleep. I'm just going to
1: scroll. It's not good. It's it's not good. And ironically, I saw a real nice take on this, which is we're not in the information era anymore. We're kind of in the filtration era. And I started thinking like a lot of stuff I'm watching is, is, is things I wanna watch. I really enjoy watching. A lot of them are not. But let's pretend I can just, like, filter only and just only things I will benefit from and I will have a blast watching and consuming, right? Or reading. Even if I get only the most, like, the things that I I like, I don't have enough time in my life to go over all of them. (laughs) So I think there's more interesting stuff, more interesting content than I have time in my life to watch or consume. So I just have to decide to stop somewhere and anywhere is good enough because I'll never go through it all. Even more now that we have algorithms presenting you new stuff all the time.
0: I like that, that it's, it's the, the filtration now instead of information.
1: Yeah. And there's no enough filtration, you know, you have to be your own filter.
0: Which then becomes its own job, especially when you're using multiple platforms. Like TikTok at least has an algorithm that tries to figure out what, you're looking for
1: yeah but and you know who's right rss readers are right oh absolutely (laughs) this should be the norm (laughs) so i'm I'm,
0: i'll share an experience i had when i was in brazil i i kind of just wasn't doing the my normal routine from when i was back in the u.s i had my google reader set up i had my feeds and i was like oh good when i get home they'll be there and i can i can focus on that but right now i'm here i want to be in the moment i got home and google reader was gone they had retired it yeah. Lost my entire collection of curated RSS feeds.
1: I've never used it, but a friend of mine that is helping me build Lemeno, uh, that's the reason we started, uh, started this app. He, he used Google Reader a lot, and he's like a, an orphan of Google Reader as well. Google killing products is a whole other topic that we could get into, but I'm,
0: I'm curious if you don't mind sharing a little bit more on this uh, new app you're working on.
1: Yeah, it's uh, Lemeno, L-E-M-E-N-O. So it kind of comes from letmeknow.io uh, You're gonna see a cool any page. It's free. You can just use it. We don't have a we kind of have a monetization plan, but no one has ever paid us anything yet. But maybe someday. Anyway, y- you can you can like look for YouTube channels, Twitter accounts, and some Instagram pages, uh, and you can add RSS feeds as well. It will bring like. Everything into one timeline. So the difference from an RSS reader is that we are trying to use APIs to fetch data from other places as well. You can build like views and mark stuff to read later. So it's it's getting in a, into a nice shape, and I think it's nice to use as well, both in desktop, desktop and, and, and mobile. This looks really cool. I will
0: admit I had some a similar idea, especially as. Uh... Twitter was being picked up by Elon Musk and started seeing the layoffs and the, uh, shall we say, uh, not ideal circumstances behind their infrastructure. Yeah. And I was just thinking it would be really cool to have something that looks and feels vaguely like Twitter, but that's just based on RSS. Like Mastodon is cool. I, I like Mastodon. I enjoy it. I've actually incorporated it into my own website. So you can go to... LindsayKWardell.com slash at Lindsay, and you'll see my Mastodon posts. But RSS is the best form of decentralization because everyone can just have their own content, their own sites. Doesn't matter what they're using, there's this unified API to communicate what you're doing and what's new.
1: And I think that should be the norm, a unified API slash protocol where, and I know a lot of people are working on this kind of stuff like, oh, I can't remember names to save my life. Uh, I don't remember names, but I've seen a lot of attempts to write such protocols uh, and I hope one of them work. Like, we just need one of them to work. Uh, RSS is is good, but it's also old uh, and will not support some of the stuff we have right now, like I don't know, comments, liking, disliking, (laughs) anything like that which people are very used to.
0: Yeah. When I switched to a different, uh, RSS reader, that was one of the first things I noticed is people could like, uh, different posts. So I would Mm -hmm. be scrolling through my RSS feed and I'd see, oh, 900 people liked this post or favorited it or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, what, what is this? RSS doesn't do that. And it was because I was in an (laughs) app and everyone had an account there, there was some level of curation, but at that point it's not distributed. I see. Yeah,
1: but it's just like with email, right? It's the same protocol and different companies and, and and implementations can talk to each other. We we have to have an email protocol but for our social media posts and following and stuff.
0: Yeah. And I I do think the, the protocol that Mastodon uses, uh, I think it's Activity Pub, is Yeah, that's kind of for that. yeah.
1: official, right? Yeah. Like with a double tree and stuff. Yeah. Cool. That, that's one of the names I was trying to remember.
0: Yeah. So th- there's definitely good work going into this. And this app looks really cool. I might I might have to sign up as soon as we sign off here.
1: Yeah, and you only need your email address. Actually, you were not even asking for a token anymore because we wanted to, like, reduce friction. Mm. Time to start. This is zero. So you just type your email address and you're good to go. Oh,
0: well, that's really cool.
1: It's passwordless after, anyway.
0: Yeah, passwordless is this isn't social media specific but passwordless is a really cool direction that things are going. I love it. I, yeah, I, I love I, it. I like how I like how it's becoming more common. I know my, like the big companies, Microsoft and Google have been pushing their own variants that require you to have their own apps. Mm-hmm. Or Apple does the same thing if you try to sign in even with a password cuz Apple's not passwordless yet. Mm-hmm. They'll be, they'll ping you on all your devices and be like, "Hey, somebody's trying to sign in. Here's a code." And I think that's really cool. As a, as like a concept for security.
1: I mean, in the end, you're as safe as your email is safe because you're gonna, they're gonna send a, a like a token to refresh your password to your email anyway. If you click, I forgot my email, so for my password.
0: Yeah. So going back to the the social media for a moment, how are you feeling at this point on the other end of your experience about things like Twitter and Reddit? Do you find yourself wanting to use them do you find that they have any value or benefit to you as as an individual not like anyone in yeah uh
1: i i think they have value but i think the value is just too small compared to the time i invest
0: on them that's fair
1: (laughs) yeah so i am i moved more by recommendations right now so i ask for friends what's up what's going on and if someone sends me a video, I'm gonna watch it. If someone sends me a post, I'm gonna watch it. Um, and sometimes I will spend just a little time on those platforms, but as less as I can, because they're also good for like getting informed of what's going on. I wouldn't know about USA like shooting up balloons if it weren't for Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> and that's an interesting topic.
0: <laughs> I I also have really appreciated Twitter, especially, but. Um, all of the social media that I've been looking at as the big tech companies have been going into layoff mode uh, at the start of 2023. Mm-hmm. So we mm-hmm. can we can actually see what's going on, which companies are doing what, what the impact actually is in the tech industry. That's a big disruption. And if we didn't have any news about it, uh, that was yeah. readily available. like Yes, n- some newspapers are going to be talking about it for a bit, but on social media, you can see individuals who are going through that experience and being able to yeah "Yeah, i worked at google and then suddenly my email was shut off and i knew i was laid off
1: yeah this specific kind of experience yeah like a thousand people being shut off out of nowhere via email like we wouldn't heard this history from this point of view i i I get you
0: i i know also that you were recently laid off from your your job Uh, would,
1: would you mind talking about your experience at all yeah, yeah. Um, my experience was was a surprise, uh, but it seems like it was a surprise for a lot of people, even uh, managers. So it seems like it's it was like a spreadsheet decision decision, and I don't mean this in a bad way. Like you can't beat spreadsheets if the numbers are, are red. I don't think you can do anything about it because, like, I I would rather uh, be laid off or laid off than not receive my salary for example, right? What are the other possibilities, right? If the company can't um, support the the, the the employees right now, I am lucky enough that I'm fine. Like, I, we are very privileged in tech with our salaries, so I could make a, a good uh, backup money and stuff, so I'm fine. And I'm looking for other jobs. I got a few interviews incoming, so the, the tech industry is not like, stopped. <laughs> a lot of people are still hiring. Uh, but I, I, I love my job. I would go back if I could, but <laughs> that's <laughs> that's that's what it is. Yeah, the bad thing was how I was surprised. I didn't see it coming. That's the bad part. Because if I had uh, any notice, it, it would, like, easy on my life a little bit.
0: Yeah, that's the hard part is the depending on the way companies do layoffs, they're either... You know it's coming, and so you're anxious for an extended period of time, where it's out of the blue. Mm-hmm. And I
1: guess I'm on the market now. Uh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I've seen some graphs that showed how many people were hired during the pandemics, and comparing with the layoffs, and kind of we're still overall we're still on green, kind of like more hiring than than layoffs. Uh, just to say that some people got real, really um, pessimistic with the market, but it's not—it's not bad at all. It's just not bonkers, right? It was bonkers. Now it's—it's it's good. Yeah. And I feel like, and
0: and like you're saying, hopefully there are enough uh, places that are still hiring. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a temporary setback for most people. Not it's a... going to be
1: bad for juniors, you know. Yeah, junior developers are going to have a bad time right now.
0: Yeah, I. I worry about junior developers <laughs> because I, there are so few companies that are actively looking for juniors. And it's, it's difficult because they need jobs in order to get started. Yes. But in order to get started right, you need a job that's actually going to support a junior developer. Exactly. And mentor them and train them so that they can then leave and get a better job. And most companies aren't willing to do that. They they don't want to they don't want to take the risk of teaching somebody how to be effective, and then lose them.
1: Yeah, but they didn't have an option. Uh, I don't know. Maybe now they have more of an option. Maybe with more uh, mid level developers out there. Uh, but eventually they'll have to train people. Like here in Brazil, a, a type of of paid course uh, took off, which was like you're gonna learn how to code in this one to two years course and you're not going to pay anything before you get like x plus salary you start paying after you're hired but it's free before that and these markets of, of like forming professionals r- took off a lot here in brazil i don't know about us i think it, i think it also in the us right yeah because of that, because people needed some sort of experience, and a lot of companies had like partnerships with his with his uh, courses to like hire them out of the, the, the course. Right. Uh, my sister-in-law went to one of these, and now she's she's uh, working. So it worked for her, for example.
0: Yeah, I attended a programming boot camp here in Portland, Oregon, and at the end of the course, you had a two-week internship with their consulting wing. Like it was this other part of their company and you'd work with the client project for a little bit, get some experience. So you mm-hmm. also, you could apply some of the skills that you learned, like how to do stand up, how to do version control with a team, uh, how to pick tasks off of a board, like you actually got experience hands on with it, which is amazing. But also you could throw that on your resume like I did an internship at such and such a place. Mm-hmm. And that shows that shows something even if it's only two weeks it's still more than you had if you hadn't done anything
1: yeah i was a, i was luck, lucky enough that i had built an, uh, an android app when i was at college i can't remember why i started this but i can't remember why i started pretty much everything <laughs> yeah i just had this idea and we made this app and it's on my resume to this day <laughs> it's like i want to show people that uh, at college, I was trying to learn as, as best I could. So yep. I kind of got this project going and it, it's on app, uh, Play Store still and, and all that. So this kind of experience kind of makes sense, uh, make make a difference.
0: Definitely, yeah. Are there any specific recommendations you would give to any junior developers today uh, with the, the tech industry as it is and the 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 way
1: you have seen things and the way you've progressed through your career? All the like successful that I've accompanied, they were like near to a mid-level or senior developer. So if you know any mid-level or senior developer that you can like bother asking questions and try to show your projects and try to ask what you must know and what company is hiring and what can you do, do that. (laughs) Um, Do that because that's how I got my first job. That's how my uh, sister-in-law got her first job. And a friend of mine she also got her first job uh, doing this to me. Like, I would help her anytime she had a question. It helped her build confidence. Uh, it helped her find some job openings because sometimes the, the person doesn't even know where to search. And I actually sat with her where, like, most websites have the careers or jobs page. Look at that. Try to see if you fit in any position. And if you don't fit... By a lot it's just like by a little apply anyway and try it's like the experience of getting over uh, a hiring process is uh worth and so i'm sure there are many other ways for you to succeed as a junior but that's that's how i know like that's how it worked for me and for some people that i that are around me
0: i love that thank you I'll, i'll also answer my own question my 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 path into becoming a developer uh, when I was early in my programming career was pivot my job from what I was doing to being a developer at the same company. So one suggestion I may have, even if it's not an official like developer role and developer title, look for opportunities at the place that you work and see if you can make something for them. And just be like, hey, we have this process that isn't working great. Let me fix it. Let me make it better. I've been learning these skills. And mm-hmm. probably it's small enough that they don't have the budget to hire a developer for it, and they'll just be thankful. That that, yeah. would, that would be my hope for you at least. Uh, talking to this junior developer I have in my head is that that's what happened with me. Actually,
1: remember some other t- another tip. Another, another thing I did was like, oh, this company is hiring. They use React, MongoDB, and I don't know uh, some GraphQL. I'll just try and binge learn those things. <laughs> And make a project with it. Uh, and like maybe email them my project. If you don't find a, uh, something to do as you suggested. But I will try to learn it uh, and show interest. And actually, I would get very motivated with the possibility of getting riot, uh, uh, hired. So yeah, that that's it. Uh, that worked well for this friend of mine. Actually, she's working with Laravel and PHP. She didn't know anything about PHP. and was like, you should make a project with it. And when the challenge came from the company, like a coding challenge, she excelled at it because she had done a full letter of a web before with the technologies they used, Docker, PHP, and I, I don't know what else. <laughs> but these two things I know because she told me about Docker and I, I don't know much about Docker. I should learn more about Docker. <laughs> Docker's fun.
0: It's, it's complicated,
1: but it's fun. Complicated. Uh, yeah, it seems complicated. You know, orchestrate or like be consistent and predictable. Predictable. That's a hard problem in computer science. We're trying to do that for as long as <laughs> computer science exists. Yeah.
0: Cool. Thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate those tips. And I hope the any of the junior developers listening to us will be able to, to benefit from those
1: as well. Yeah, you can actually reach out to me because I, apparently I can't help myself, but... To try and help other people, uh, we're we're uh, also privileged in our area where a lot of people want to like teach, and there's a lot of free stuff out there. There's a lot of people willing to teach. Uh, at least I feel that here in Brazil, and with the content I've learned online in English as well. But yeah, I think our uh, computer science has a lot of passionate people that want to talk about it. We want to talk about our stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. It's. It's so important when we're learning to be
0: sharing as well. So we, can, yeah. we, we can reinforce what we've learned. Indeed. Well, cool. Thank you so much, Louise, for coming on the episode today. Uh, before we wrap up, I just have one final question for you. Um, since this is a podcast where we're talking to developers about themselves, I'm curious mm-hmm. what is your favorite programming language? Lua. That's a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> it's, a, it's a Brazilian programming language. It's so simple. It's like Toki Pona of programming languages. It has a uh, few tokens, right? And it's easy to learn. It's fast. It has the best data structure, which is tables, which is like array and uh, dictionary and a class, if you want it to be, and anything you want. <laughs> so I'm kind of taking with, with a grain of salt because I just love it. One of the reasons is because it's a Brazilian language, like developed here
0: in Brazil. I will say I love how many programming languages are made in Brazil. It's like, right? There's actually Actually, a reasonably large number.
1: There's that. There's something. This is something I wanted to talk about, and I just forgot. Let me try. Like, a lot of Brazilians have this stray dog. Uh, stray dog um, syndrome where we think we're less than other people like Europeans or North Americans for some reason like every Brazilian is going to agree with this I think but we are in tech like heavily we are we we have great Brazilian developers anywhere you look you actually can't throw a rock anywhere (laughs) without hitting a Brazilian not only the tech industry we are all, all around the world yeah so if you're Brazilian listening to this like you being Brazilian it doesn't doesn't say anything about your capacity of doing anything. Like, and I feel like we hold ourselves back a lot because of that uh, as a Brazilian. But we have plenty of examples. I am going to try to be one of them. <laughs> I mean,
0: from my experience with you, and we, we were previously co-workers, to be clear to anyone listening, I yeah. I think you are one. So oh, you're, you're doing a great job. Thank you so much.
1: I don't think I'm going to cry. Not
0: really. I mean, you can if you want. But yes, really. <laughs> cool. Um, thank you so much, Louise. Is there somewhere that people can reach out if they want to talk to you or have any questions for you about what we've been discussing?
1: Yeah, as as I said before, I'm kind of trying to be as offline as I can. But if you sent me a direct message on my Twitter account at R-Sensato, S-E-N-S-A-T-O, I don't know how else to say that. English speakers, I mean, uh, arroba r underline sensato. You're gonna find me there. I'm gonna see it eventually, it might be in two months, but I'm gonna see it. <laughs> oh, also, if you go to code for the win stuff, code ftw, code ftw.com, I believe, uh, code FTW.deb, sorry, um, you might be able to, to reach me through our Discord server or our WhatsApp a group because I'm there actively trying to help the community and grow this community of, of Brazilians trying to code. Awesome. And I'm going to make sure there are notes
0: in the, uh, the posting for this episode with links to all of that as well. Luis, thank you so much. It was a blast. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to reach out to me to discuss anything as well, I am on Twitter at Lindsay K Wardell. I am also on Mastodon at lindsaykwardell at mastodon.social. Hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next week.
1: Bye-bye! E agora a gente vai falar em português. Em português, exatamente. O mesmo podcast, só que em português agora. Vamos vamos falar uh, tudo de novo. (laughs) Sim. (laughs)